Well, hello there, and welcome back to Molecule to Market, where, as always, we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. I'm your host, Roman Sagal, and today we're going to be talking about the pharma and biotech space with Jason McKenna, who's global president at Anisio Biotech, and Dean McAllister, who is the executive vice president at Anisio Biotech. It's been a while since we've done a episode with a couple of guests, so it was fun to have a dynamic duo like Jason and Dean on today. Both of them have an incredible amount of experience in the pharma and biotech space, both on the kind of drug sponsor side and the service provider side. And they were very kind in sharing kind of the wealth of experience they've got from a big pharma background and how that's assisting or how they are assisting today's emerging biotechs. As per previous episodes, we also explore the current biotech capital market. And the guys talk really interestingly about what the impact is on service providers. So how is it impacting them now and how it might impact you guys in the future? Also, later on in the podcast, you'll hear some fascinating insight into what the industry could look like in the future uh, and what that therapeutic impact could look like, which I found particularly fascinating. And last but not least, one thing to look out for is just a great energy and connection and chemistry between these two guys who've worked together for a really long time. And I really liked how they shared what what had worked in their relationship. And again, some really fantastic learnings for you guys if you're working with other leaders in your business. Just for background, Jason is the global president of Anisio's first enterprise business unit, Anisio Biotech. Jason and his team enable biotech partners to maximize the value of their assets by providing scalable support through the seamless experience of a single point of coordination. Previously CEO at STEM, an initial advisory company, Jason led the organization through significant scaling and transformation through COVID. He also spent the initial part of his career in Big Pharma, working for AstraZeneca in the US, in the UK, across a variety of marketing, sales, and finance roles. Dean has over 35 years of biopharma experience across established and startup organizations, including just 28 years with AstraZeneca across 16 roles of increasing commercial responsibility, where he had global and regional sales and strategic business development positions. Dean has built cross-functional teams spanning all therapeutic areas and following his time at AZ, he grew STEM Healthcare North America from 10 clients in 2017 to 38 over a five-year period before the sale to UDG Health. He's also a podcaster, speaker and published author, which as you know, is always good from my perspective. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, which is an international content design and digital agency that helps companies get noticed in life sciences. Just a few quick points um, for you guys. If you are out and about at any of the big shows in the next few months, we are in that busy time of the year, fall and quarter four, the PBOAA conference, AAPS, 
and CPHI worldwide. If you're going to those conferences, give me a shout. I'd love to meet you. Love to hear your thoughts on the show and just, you know, me in person because that's a good thing we do these days. Reminder about my book, The Floundering Founder, which we launched in January. And I'm very proud to say it's become an international bestseller in the UK and US. So please pick up a copy and let me know your thoughts. Unless they are negative thoughts, then I'd rather not know. And quick thanks to my production team uh, who helped put me all this podcast together, Gemma, Roxana and Tony. And thank you to you, of course, for listening and following the show. Please give us a kind rating on your app store of choice. I'm sure you've been putting it off and one day you said you'll do it. How about that day is today? And maybe even go one step further and share it with a colleague. Beyond that, please enjoy today's show. Hey, Jason. Hey, Dean. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks, Rahman. Really appreciate you having us. Well, it's my pleasure and it's always fun having a, a double act like you guys today so i'm going to try my best to give you guys as much opportunity to talk about your backgrounds and you know the business and everything today so let's just start with a bit of background and i'm really interested to know how you guys met but before we go on to that Jason, maybe, can we start with you? Give give our listener a little bit of an overview of you, your background, and how you got to, to where you are today. Sure. So, so I started out in the industry probably 20 years ago now with, uh, with AstraZeneca. Um, started out as a forecasting analyst and just kind of worked my way through AstraZeneca. Probably a jack of all trades. Master of none is probably a good way to describe it. Um, both time in the U.S. as well as uh, about two and a half years living and working in the U.K. And it really came to an inflection point when I was in the U.K. where I wanted to do something different. Had an opportunity to uh, to take some private money and start a business um, back in the U.S., which we did. And, uh, and we started STEM Healthcare in the U.S. And at the time, we had no bank account, no legal entity, no clients, no way to deliver projects. But we had an idea that we really believed in and we had a bit of money and um, a couple of people that that really wanted to make it work. So we um, we grew the business over the course of many years and um, and sold it to uh, UDG Healthcare in 2016. And that's how I came into the Inizio group. Um, so I've been with the um, Inizio group for about six years now and currently lead our biotech enterprise solutions business which is really taking all of the different um, services that we provide across advisory, medical, marketing, communications, and engage, and providing them to the, to the biotech sector. So I'm um, really happy to be here today once again, and, and that's, that's me, and, and Dean, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you, Jason. I've got 35 years this next year in the industry. The first 28 of that were with AstraZeneca, starting back in 1988 and progressed through 16 commercial assignments of the increasing responsibility, six moves, and uh, ended in executive leadership in the U.S. business, leading a team of about 300 people. Had the opportunity in 2016 to go into something different and went into the services side of the business, came to work for Jason at STEM Healthcare in the Inizio Group, or what became the Inizio Group. Worked five years there, growing business in the U.S., as well as being the leader for North America and came to work in this particular role starting in January of this year 
and have enjoyed the journey so far through these first nine months of learning a new sector and watching how the value of the 10,000 people across all our divisions and agencies actually has tremendous importance to the sector that we're talking about today. Well, I appreciate that, Jensen. Expertly done, I have to say, between the two of you <laughs> to uh, to not talk over each other and, and be so succinct with your introductions. Jason, I was going to... One thing I couldn't get from your history, which you're hoping, hoping you'll enlighten me on, is so were you one of the founders at STEM or did you join after the company was, was founded? Because it was an incredible story of growth to ultimately sell uh, the business in a, in a relatively short space of time. The, um, the company was founded by a couple of guys in the UK. Um, so let's call it maybe 10 employees in. Um, and, and at the time, they knew that if they were going to grow the business and sell it for a pretty good valuation over time, that they would need to build a stream of cash flow in the US as well as one in the Far East. So um, there was a mutual connection. Um, we got together and talked about the opportunity. I had to sell it to my wife. So that was a big sell. Um, and, and once I got the buy-in there, um, we were we were all ready to go. So um, I was employee number one in the U.S. to build things out, and then also built the business in Brazil, which provided the launch pad for Latin America. Wow, that's incredible! Well, congratulations. That must have been su- such a journey. And and Dean, you mentioned the size of Anisio, the um, the scale of the business, and obviously the recent kind of I suppose rebrand and name. Can you give our listener a bit of a, the background of UDG and then Ashfield and the various uh, M&A work that's ultimately led to, to the business and its name today? Sure, absolutely. We're owned by a private equity that about two years ago now purchased Huntsworth and the group of agencies therein. And then last August in 2021, completed the purchase and taking back private of UDG and all of the assets and companies that were underneath that family of companies. And all of that then ultimately led to what we are today. We didn't have a name until about halfway through this year, but the name Inizio was given, and it's a great name, comes from Italian heritage, about beginning something new. And it really is endemic of what we're trying to do in our particular part of the organization is help bringing in something new in an area where new is the way that is the norm because new is what biotech is all about that's where innovation comes from across the broader industry it's not so much the big pharma companies that are innovating and developing at scale like they used to and like what i grew up in it's now all coming from high science small companies academic partnerships and really feeding and fueling the engine that's making such a difference in human health today Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fantastic. And you, you lead me nicely, Dean, on one of my questions for you today, which is, you know, it's funny looking at your background, you are clearly quite an unassuming guy, because when I met you, you were just a very polite, lovely bloke. And actually, when I looked at your history, I was like, oh, wow, this guy's got some serious experience. <laughs> you know, the best, yeah, you know, the best part of three decades at, at AstraZeneca, it's in, in, incredible. And your your experience obviously has been primarily the big farmer and for for the first portion of your career and then obviously you've then pivoted more towards the biotech kind of space as well what what are some of the learnings i think given your experience in the i suppose the big farmer and the various launches that you worked on that you now bring to to i'm guessing relatively um uh, what's the word 
relatively novice biotech companies at times that have not necessarily been on a full commercialization journey so i'm just interested to know how that you know do they do they mold really nicely or is it very different from a a big pharma company to a biotech well it's very different but we do see that there are common drivers of success in emerging biotech that have some applications in the big pharma world i was very used to there being defined required investments that were committed too early and very significant effort put against resources for success. But unless someone has some intentionality to that in the sector we work in, it doesn't happen. Secondly, I was very used to seeing commercialization expertise put into the development cascade from phase two onward and possibly before. However, we run into a lot of organizations who with best intentions just believe that science is going to sell. And in reality, you have to have that commercialization mindset all the way back from very early on in the development process. And then the third of those is the importance of complementing internal knowledge with external specialist expertise. When I was at AZ, we had someone who did most everything. You could certainly go outside for things, but there was such a large number of employees with such a vast experience base that a lot of the internal knowledge was all that you needed. Well, in this case, we're dealing with organizations who may only have a handful of employees and they're trying to figure out what they need to do, how they need to do it, who's going to do it, and whether it's financially responsible to do it yourself or to hire out for that. And of course, our case is that we can come in and help you with a great deal of expertise from best in class agencies outward. And you don't have to take on the burden of fixed costs in organizations that are often challenged for cash resourcing. So those three things are really the big drivers that I've seen and the parallels where there's a lot of learnings in big pharma that have to be nimbly applied in this sector. And I'm gonna come back to that fixed costs piece that you mentioned in a moment. And just a quick follow-up, Dean. Are there are there are there typical mistakes or hurdles that I suppose biotech companies struggle to overcome? when they're developing a new product or a pipeline of products just in in your experience are there certain points at which they tend to need the greatest level of support or is it very mixed based on on your experience we find that it really starts to take shape in phase two where i would say there are a few what i wish i would have known points because if you think phase two that's where organizations are really starting to need to develop an asset to spend money beyond just clinical trials. And they often don't realize that that's really where you need to be bringing in some systemization and rigor into your organizational planning to properly maximize an asset. You need to be doing things like developing a scientific communication platform, doing patient journey mapping, doing really good value pricing and access work. And a lot of those things just aren't built into the hard wiring. So I would say if anywhere there is a critical juncture, it's at phase two in the development. Mm, that's really fascinating. And J- Jason, I was going to ask if that's from your perspective and your experience, is that is that very much where you see the biggest challenges? But also given your experience, Jason, I'd love for you to share, I suppose, some of the growth and entrepreneurial learnings that you've had on the service provider side that you can also presumably bring to to kind of fast-growing biotech companies? 
So, so first off, I think the phase two piece that Dean speaks to is, is absolutely the, the spot and where additional investment is being made to further commercialize the, the brands or the assets. What I would say is that the trend that we typically see is that biotechs are late in terms of making that investment. Um, so that's the ideal, but it could be phase three, it could be early phase three before it's actually done. And there's a variety of reasons for that. Um, in terms of the entrepreneurial piece, I think that biotech share a lot of the same DNA as entrepreneurs um, in, in terms of their, their business. And, and being on the service provider piece side, it's important, I think, for us to, um, to meet biotechs where they are. And then sometimes it means making up a solution that's specific to their uh, problem at, the, at their per- current juncture at their current time. But uh, I do feel that there's a lot of same parallels in terms of the, the DNA, no pun intended. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a, that's a really interesting uh, perspective. And one thing I forgot to ask actually was where you guys met. My, I think you met at STEM, but obviously you both spent a, a good chunk of time at AstraZeneca as well. So just I'm, I'm interested to know how you guys met originally. So Jason, I'll, I'll pass to you to give us the backstory. And then Dean, you can validate if, if Jason's correct and you have a different view on it. <laughs> so I, I was early in my career at AstraZeneca when I had met Dean. Dean was a very accomplished uh, sales leader um, in the cardiovascular space at the time. And I was, uh, I was more on the, a brand manager on the team. Um, and as I started STEM, I knew that there was a certain juncture in which I needed to bring in business development capability to further scale the business. Um, the capabilities that we had and the, uh, the capacity that we had internally just was never going to get us to where we needed to be. And I needed a, an expert to come in and help get us into, into more companies. At the same time, Dean was um, looking for his, his next, um, I guess, phase two in his career. He was finishing up at AstraZeneca. I reached out to him and actually flew down to Dallas where he was living at the time and, uh, and took him out for a barbecue. And over a barbecue... Um, I talked about the journey that we had been on in, at STEM and really put my best foot forward in terms of why he should join us and be part of that journey. And lucky enough, lucky enough um, he took the, the sales pitch, joined us, <laughs> and has been, has been a huge success. Uh, Dean, did I get that right? I would say that's largely correct. Um, I look back on the time whenever um, I first met Jason, and he was a new young man in his 20s uh, with a blue blazer coming in to work in AstraZeneca. And seeing him a few times and wondering, like, who is that kid over there? That's what I kept thinking a few times. And that kid would go on ultimately, of course, to be my boss. But in 2016, I had a unique opportunity to, um, in a restructuring, choose a different path and take retirement proceeds, et cetera. And I was uh, on that path. And two months into the retirement, quote unquote, I remember the day Jason contacted me to about the job at STEM. I was doing my final round of legal depositions on what seemed would never end, the Crestor depositions that I'd been involved with for years. And the day he called me, I was in legal prep for what I thought was going to turn into a possible trial. And I thought, I just got out of this organization and I still can't get out of the organization. I'm doing depositions. So I probably would have accepted any job the day that he contacted me because I was just wanting to get out of where I was that day and having to do that ever again. 
So I was very pleased to join, but I'll tell you with great transparency, I had no idea what I was getting into. Whenever I came to work on the STEM side of things and to grow business development, but then fast forward five years where I had the same opportunity to come into this biotech space where innovation and making it up as you go along is often the way that things are done. And again, I found myself having no idea, but really what you have to come back to is the ability to learn and willingness to try something new. And that's where we find ourselves at the teachable moment with our clients quite often as well. I love it. I really enjoyed hearing how you guys met. I'd never, I'd never knew that story. So it was good to, that must've been some good steak that Jason served you, Dean, but it sounded like it was the the right moment in time. Uh, so It was actually a $5 barbecue sandwich. <laughs> so if, if he thought that it was the quality of the meal that actually influenced me, uh, not so much. May, maybe Jason should be doing the sales Dean if that's, that's how good he is, <laughs> which is, uh, no, that's great. I love, I love that story guys. And I'm going to come back to that because I really love to explore you guys and your partnership. Before we do that, I wanted to go back to some of the conversation before. And a lot of our listeners, have a keen eye for what's going on in in the biotech space because most of our listeners are either from that space or they are servicing m much like yourselves. You know, as as we stand today, you know, the capital markets are taking a bit of a beating. Investors are a bit out of love with biotech, it seems, and there's you know there's a lot of hunkering down and prioritizing resources go going on. And and Dean, you started touching on this before you know, in terms of the role of a service provider, but tell us, tell us how those conversations have been developing, I suppose, in the last three months where say you guys are speaking to a biotech organization. Are they, are they more open to outsourcing than previously because they don't want that fixed overhead or are they now even more I suppose, mindful of the costs associated with outsourcing. It's a bit of a tricky kind of dilemma for them. So I'm just, I would love your kind of perspective as I suppose the, <laughs> I suspect the, the, the guy that's on the ground speaking to, to biotech companies, what, what's going through their, their minds right now? It does vary among those two scenarios that you just referenced, but either way we have a value proposition because if they're at a point where, um, they don't want to have any additional fixed cost. Well, obviously we have a great value proposition there. Even if they're at a point where they say, look, I, I don't have any funds right now, you can very easily fit into their forward planning because that is a lesson from big pharma. Every year you go through a brand planning process. So if you come back around to say, well, you might not have that right now, but you no doubt are planning for 2023. Can we get into some of your discussions that are pointed toward one of your next milestones. Because for instance, if they have a study maturing in early 2023, they're gonna to need to do some things that best position where that asset is placed in their organization and the value proposition therewith. So really any place that they find themselves, you just need to get the conversation. That's the hardest part of this job is just getting in front of people to be able to help be that catalyst and cause that teachable moment that I referred to earlier. That's really interesting. And Jason, from your perspective, in terms of conversations that you've had and just, I suppose, your general understanding and insights on the market, what are you seeing from a, from a biotech perspective? Well, I, I think we know that the biotech index has been down over 20, it's 22% as of this morning. Venture capital financing has been down. The number of biotech 
IPOs has been down. Um, and what we're seeing then within within companies is that capital allocation is just being really highly scrutinized, particularly non-clinical trial spend within that capital allocation. In some cases, decisions for spend that you would think could be made within the business needs to go to board approval um, before we can move forward with the process. So we're, we're seeing that that extends the process of, of actually getting um, some projects up and running and being able to help deliver solutions to biotechs. But I would also say that does your original question was, does this create more opportunities for outsourced services? And, and I would say yes, but there's a but to that. And, and the but is if it's a best in class service that's highly, highly specific to that biotech situation, then it creates more opportunity for outsourced services. So if it's service X and the biotech is, um, is in ALS, um, but you have experience with ServiceX in oncology, then that could be the difference between winning and losing the business because of how specific um, biotechs are looking for some of these services. So if I'm understanding, you know, the, the outsourcing isn't dropping by any stretch of the imagination, it's probably going to increase, but the decision-making piece might be more protracted or just stricter than, than usual. Is that, is that a fair I suppose, summary? Absolutely stricter than usual because uh, they're hunkering down. They've got the cash they have in their on their balance sheet. It might be really difficult to generate some additional cash. So the scrutiny that's being provided against non-clinical trial spend is just really, really high right now. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. You guys, obviously, you know, you you represent a different type of business in than say a biotech company. So what what are some of your challenges at the minute? So is it is a service provider for biotech companies? Obviously Dean mentioned there getting in front of potential clients and clients is is one challenge, presumably just because they're to, so time constrained. But what are some of the challenges that you, are you guys are seeing now in terms of just being a provider to these to these companies? I'll give an example. I was at European Society of Medical Oncology recently and went to a poster presentation for one of the clients that we're trying to help to develop their asset, which is going into phase two. So the chief medical officer of the organization has been telling us largely that, look, I know this space really well. Uh, We really don't need to necessarily do more work because the science is so good. Well, I went to their poster presentation and there was not a long line at their poster. Uh, So number one, that made the point that you have to get out the message yourself. The world is not going to come to you in this. And also, as I spoke with him about all the science and all the things that happened, I made the point, look, the US is the really big area where any company is going to see the greatest gains from their product. And even if you never want to fully commercialize this yourself, you have to figure out how to have a narrative about it and a really deep understanding of how you're seen clinically in order to get noticed. Because obviously I was in an environment where thousands of people were coming back together and were at a point where buyer was meeting seller, not just from a clinical perspective, but if you went through the exhibit hall, you saw companies that you know were on the acquisition effort and we're trying to find the best matches for their portfolio. So my point to him that day was you're at a unique moment where, yes, you've had some initial proof points 
for everything that you said was going to be true about your asset. But now you're at a critical juncture where you have to tell the story of your asset or else if you don't tell the story, someone's going to tell it for you. And that's really where you have to come back around to help people to see this in a different way, even if they're somewhat cash strained or restricted at the time, there still have to be some baseline threshold investments that you're going to have to make. If you want to partner an asset out, people have to know what they're buying. Uh, that's, um, I think that's some really interesting insight there. I have to say, Dean, I was, uh, I was jotting some notes <laughs> as you were, you were talking there and, Jason, from from your perspective, do you are you envisaging, I suppose, going back to the previous question, the next couple of years is going to be increasingly challenging for the biotech, the typical biotech company, or do you see some kind of light at the end of the at the end of the tunnel in terms of financing and I suppose just having a bit more fr- freedom in, in in order to operate. Well, I think we need to take a step back and have some perspective on that, because if you take a look at kind of where we've been over the last several years, you might say this is a bit of doom and gloom. Um, financing is dried up. You don't go a week without hearing about a biotech um, rationalizing their pipeline or going through some layoffs. Um, last several years have been terrific for biotech. So I think we need to keep that perspective in mind. Um, I do think that there continues to be um, significant uh, progression in terms of the science across biotech and the, the the types of medicines that they're developing and the patient populations that they can help. I also think that for the right asset and for the right ideas, money will fu- continue to find those assets and find those ideas. So relative to the last couple of years, it might not be as great, but if you take a step back on the whole, I still think it's quite a terrific industry to be part of right now. Yeah, that's it's the classic, you know, kind of how taking a wider lens of looking at the the whole market and actually 2021 is you as you rightly say jason is uh, sorry 2022 is still up in the grand scheme of say the last 20 years or so but actually we're comparing it versus last year which was a particularly uh you know boom year for for, for biotechs and it, dean are you are you seeing you mentioned a couple of times was interesting projects in in different types of science are you my assumption is you guys will see the weird and wonderful in the next generation of new medicines coming through the clinic. I'm just interested to hear what that looks like. Are you seeing, you know, say a massive push towards um, selling gene therapies? Are you seeing still a lot of small molecule work elsewhere in your business? Or, you know, what are the kind of bigger trends that you guys are seeing kind of coming into your business from a market perspective? The biggest areas of opportunity still reside within oncology and cell and gene therapy from my perspective. That's where you see the most recurring noise, if you will, which is positive. However, there certainly have been some opportunistic things that we've seen recently in the COVID space, which obviously is an ongoing challenge to us societally, but I think everyone is starting to figure out how to have somewhat normal operations around that. But we know we're going into winter. We know there's going to be hospitalized COVID patients. We know all these things are going to happen. So we are following very closely the sector, which looks at improvements on treatment for COVID patients, whether outpatient or inpatient. And we've just had some recent opportunities come our way within that particular space. 
So you have to be opportunistic to look out across and you really can't rule any area out because innovation is going to be across the chronic diseases. And going back to one of the points you made about the biotech spend rate, you still have a fact on our side and that's the aging population and and that will not change. So people are going to have to figure out how to handle the diseases of aging and then that's where innovation is going to be targeted. So where those two things match up, there's going to be opportunity. I mean, that's a positive note. That, and it's similar to, I just jotted down, you know, I think Jason said earlier on that, you know, money will find the molecules, the right ones. And I was having a discussion with a client the other day and he, similar to yourself, Jason, he wasn't particularly doom or gloom. He said, we've seen this before and, you know, good molecules and good products find their way to market and will always be kind of financed for exactly the reason you said there, Dean, which is there is a need, you know, at a macro level that continues to be, to be a need. Uh, and Jason, just, to, just on Dean's point about COVID, I'm interested in how, how is, how is COVID impacted, I suppose, the way you guys do business at, you know, what was STEM and obviously is now part of uh, the Anisio group how how have things changed for you guys as a business? And that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, people working from home, et cetera, et cetera. But presumably the the business model has had to um, adapt to these these times. Has it made things better? Has it made things easier in terms of the client communication and supporting clients? I don't know if it's made it easier or better. It's, it's made it just made it different. Um, and, and you've had to adapt to those differences. And I'm not quite sure that we've been any different than any other industries in the way that we've had to adapt. The, the STEM situation is, is different than maybe the Inizio situation until we, in, in terms of how we've had to adapt because the STEM business model is around um, benchmarking, quantifying and benchmarking the alignment and execution of field teams. And when field teams are going into doctor's offices and or hospitals, and COVID comes along and you can no longer get into those places and you can no longer ride along with those folks, then the business model definitely has to change quite dramatically. Um, and that's, that's what has occurred within STEM over the last several years. Um, within Anisio, I would say that things are, things are getting back probably more to normal than anything else. Um, Dean referenced being at, um, at ESMO. He's also been at ASCO and a couple of other conferences recently. And People are back. People are back in booths. People are back socializing again, interacting again, face to face, and that's been a, that's been a good thing. Um, there are still a, a large number of appointments and a large number of interactions that will occur via Zoom, but I, but I think it's been um, much more balanced than it has been over the last several years with where we are today. Yeah, the STEM things really, if really quite an insight into some of the challenges some of the the businesses in the sector have faced in terms of doing the, the normal day-to-day -day business so it's um i appreciate you giving that that insight today and let's rewind back about the conversation earlier about you guys and your um partnership and the way that you guys work together jason what makes it you know this kind of combination you know, appreciate you you and Dean have been on a journey together from the early days. What is it about the way that you guys work together and complement each other that has been so successful in your, your journey to date? I think about a couple of things. First off, it, it starts with, I think, a deep level of respect that we have for each other. Um, you know, I, I don't have the same experiences that Dean has. Um, and Dean is very, very good at what he does. 
And at the same time, Dean doesn't have some of the experiences that I have. So it means that we're a really good partnership in terms of the way that we complement each other. But, but I'd also say that in addition to that respect and the deep sort of expertise that each of us bring to the partnership, I think we enjoy being around each other and, and we enjoy sort of having, having fun. I mean, it does, a day doesn't go by that we're not laughing over text message or email or over a phone call around whatever it might be. So, you know, we do take our, our work very serious, but I think we also take a step back and we, we, we enjoy it for what it is. And, and we try to make every day as fun and as hardworking as it can possibly be. That's great. And Dean, similar from your perspective as well? I think you have to look for complementary points. And we certainly have that. Uh, The experience base that I had in sales and in market access certainly has given me a lot of knowledge about people and markets. Jason has a great set of experiences about what it took to build a business. And also his financial mind is very, very sharp. I think you have to agree there's going to be certain things that each person takes a lead on, but you also have to have points where you're going to have alignment, even if there's not agreement. And I often tell Jason, if two people are on a horse, only one of them can be in front. And I'm not the guy in front when it comes to organizational structure. Um, He's my boss. I respect that. And there's times when I will tell him, I do not agree with you, but I will align with you because you're the person responsible for making this decision. So you have to have that kind of clarity and where you come in line. And that's what I've always appreciated about uh, the time working with Jason is there's um, a lot of freedom on how to approach a job, but there's also very quick alignment around things. And once we're aligned, you don't look back, you just keep going forward. So that inertia and that trajectory causes us to get a lot of things done. I love it, a little biotech bromance on Molecule to Market <laughs> here. I am, um, in you know, as much as I joke, what what I really took from that conversation there is, you know, a lot of our listeners will work with other team members. They'll work with their bosses, or you know, similar similar to myself. You know, I work alongside the CEO of our business, and it really rings true some of the things that you guys said there in terms of that complementary skill set and you know being aligned and having the clarity but also that fundamental respect and just ability to get on with each other so i really echo what you guys said there i think some some terrific insights and you guys have both had really successful careers in your own right both separately and and together is a team and you know, Dean, you mentioned before you were like, who's that young kid when you saw Jason <laughs> at the AZ offices back back in the day? So I wanted to ask you guys, you know, if you look back now to your 25-year-old younger selves and you could give them some advice, what what would that advice be? be? And I'll start with, with you, Jason. So if you look back and you could give that 25-year-old version of yourself some advice, what, what would you what would you say to him? Catch me off guard here, Ramon. So I'm, I'm taking some notes here. Um, Dean, you, you might be better prepared to go first with all that experience you have. Dean, you're the sales guy. You're going to just knock this out the park, aren't you? Stuart, the first thing I would say to my 25-year-old self is get ready to lose that wispy hair that you think you're going <laughs> to hang on to. Because there's no way that comb over is going to sustain past about age 35. That's the first thing. That I would say to myself. But the other thing I would say is stop worrying about everything. Just do the next thing well. And 
I remember back at that point in time, I had really no idea about what kind of career might lie ahead of me. I just knew what job I had at the time and what I thought I was supposed to do next. And I got very caught up in like, what is the next job? What do you want to do instead of what do you want to be? And I think what do you want to be is such a much more powerful concept of what do you want said about you 20 years later is a whole lot more important than what you want to do next. That's what I wish somebody would have said to me at that age. Great. Hard act, hard act to follow, Jason. He's, uh, he set you up for a fall there. Well, I've, I've, got, I've got two points then to, uh, to add to that. I, I think first off, I was told a lot when I was younger just to be patient. Um, and, and I'm not quite sure that I buy that, that advice because, uh, you know, I was, if I was patient, then I might not have ever hopped out of AstraZeneca to go and start STEM. Um, there, there is a difference, though, between kind of um, uh, being impatient and being reckless. So, you know, have a sense of urgency behind what you're doing um, and have a clear goal in terms of what you're working towards. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily take the, uh, the advice that I was given earlier in my, in my career around, around being patient. Um, the second piece that, that I would say is, is how can you better help people be successful? Um, because whether you are managing a team, uh, leading a business unit, um, doing business development with a client, building a business. It's about helping other people be successful. And when they're successful, then you're successful. And um, I didn't really unlock that idea until I got into STEM, several years into STEM. But I think that um, that would have helped me get to maybe where I was going a heck of a lot quicker if I would have, um, if I would have had that piece of advice. Lots of sage advice there for our listeners. I hope you're all taking notes because there's some really good stuff there from from Dean and Jason. Guys, and we've we've got about five minutes left. And so I suppose a lot of our listeners want to know what's around the corner and get insights in terms of trends and changes that you see on the horizon. So I suppose, and I know, Jason, we've touched on this slightly already, but from your vantage point, uh, Dean, I'll start with you. You know what trends or what shifts or what big changes do you do you see on the horizon in the next few years from a from a biotech perspective, and and actually how that might impact service providers across the drug development kind of supply chain. The biggest thing that I believe is the realization to grasp is that the diseases that currently are often the endpoint for an individual will no longer be that. Uh, people will live with chronic diseases that currently are fatal blows. And that realization then helps to direct what kind of value do I need to provide to the organizations that are developing those therapies. And looking ahead, playing chestnut checkers allows you to look and say like, I'm gonna place my bets on that innovation because innovation always wins. The, our industry will not ever be commoditized because of what comes about at that germination of an idea that ultimately ends up, to, ends up being a human health aspect. And where that value chain is that strong, there will always be a value. And the value won't just be for the innovators. The value will be for the entire food chain along that through distribution, promotion, and certainly on the services side, because that's where so much of the maximization of assets is actually built into the system. And that's where we get to contribute. So I would look back to say five or 10 years from now, we're going to see cures even, I would argue, to be that bold for some things that today 
if you're given a diagnosis of X, you think I've only got X amount of time. But look how, for instance, with lung cancer, we now have five-year survival rates that went from 4% to 25% because of the innovation that's happened. I think we'll see the codification of cell and gene therapy into being regular, rudimentary parts of healthcare in a very positive way. So we're gonna see those two big areas that I referenced earlier come to full fruition and see the benefit of that. So for a service provider, that's exactly where I wanna place my bets. Oh, that's great. And Jason, any, any final thoughts from yourself? I just hope Dean's right. Um, <laughs> I agree, you know, I, to, I absolutely agree. <laughs> to, to be able to, li to live with in a chronic way, some of the diseases that are out there now that are fatal, I mean, that is, um, that, that's what this industry is, is working towards. Um, so I just, just hope you're right, Dean. I'm sure you will be. So, gents, thank you so much for coming on to Molecule to Market. I love the story of how you guys met and how you guys have developed uh, a partnership that's been so successful for the organizations that you've represented. And also just, you know, collectively you have a wealth of experience that you've been so kind to share with our, our listeners today. So thank you both very much indeed. Thanks for having us, Rahman. Hi again, thanks so much for tuning in to Molecule to Market. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can find more shows on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. Get in touch with us on our website, moleculetomarketpod.com, and follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter, and we will see you again next week. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital, and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile, and generate leads in life sciences.